Hi, this is Pastor Scott Stroud, and I'd like to thank you for joining us online today as you're watching this sermon series. I know that COVID has had a big impact on the church, and many people have been viewing from home uh, for three years now. And so, if you're one of those, thank you for coming and interacting with us online. But I would also like to extend a personal invitation to come and check us out here at Elam. And we know that fellowship is very important. According to the Bible, we should not uh, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And as you're thinking about, can you come now and, and venture out and join us uh, in, in person, uh, we would like to invite you and welcome you into the fellowship aspect of our worship time. Hope to see you soon on some Sunday at 10 a.m. second part really of a sermon that was preached two weeks ago on dreams. And today we're going to be looking at interpretation of dreams. Have you ever had a situation where you were trying to communicate with someone who didn't speak your language? It can be very frustrating. Many times you resort to elaborate hand gestures, gross uh, facial expressions, and even, even maybe elevating your uh, vocal volume to try to get your point across. Well, for many of us, that is what communicating with God can feel like. We desperately want to figure out what he's trying to tell us. However, many times, we walk away from that dialogue feeling like we do when we speak to a foreigner. Usually when we are communicating with God, it's because we are trying to do one of four things. We are praising him, we are thanking him, we are asking for direction regarding his will in our lives, or we are asking him for something. Interestingly, these four areas also are the predominant ways we communicate with people. And you would think that communicating with people would be easier than communicating with God because they are physically there. However, we know that that is not always the case. Take, for instance, the relationship between husbands and wives. You can't always take what the other says literally. You might notice that your wife is acting strange and ask, is everything okay? To which she will respond, yes, I'm fine. Now, for you husbands out there who've been married for more than one week, you will realize that I'm fine can mean dozens of things. Much of the interpretation depends on how it is said. I'm fine could mean I'm concerned about the kids or Someone at church snubbed me, or I can't figure out what to make for dinner, or you're a big jerk because you didn't say good morning to me, or I'm disgusted with my body right now, or I really wish you'd pitch in and do the dishes, or I need a vacation, but we don't have the money, or it could actually mean that she is fine, but if you press the issue, things are not going to stay fine. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we had a relational interpreter that we could turn to in these situations? Perhaps someone could create an app that our wives can speak into, and it will show us the true meaning of I'm fine in any given situation. Well, in regard to our communication with God, we find that most situations need some kind of interpretation. Even in reading the Bible, it is helpful to have resources available to help us understand what has been said. That's why there are a bazillion books on the market about the Bible. 
What makes biblical interpretation even more difficult is that the scriptures are full of analogies, symbols, and parables. And so the obvious question is, why doesn't God make understanding him less complicated? Why all the mysterious language? And so today we're going to be grappling with this question, and we're going to be talking about steps that we can take to rightly interpret what God is saying. And so first of all, we ask this question, why all the mystery? Well, let's return to our marriage analogy. If I were to survey 100 husbands out there and present them with a true or false statement, my wife is easy to figure out, I would venture to say that 99% of them would say false. As soon as boys begin to romantically have interest in girls in elementary school, they figure out pretty quickly that the opposite sex is very mysterious. And frankly, that's part of what the pursuit is. That's what makes it fun and exciting. If they were just like the guys, what fun would that be? The Bible tells us that God has clothed himself in mystery, and there are a few reasons for this. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search them out. Solomon states here that one of the things that makes God so glorious or wonderful is that he conceals things. In other words, he wants us to execute some kind of effort to figure him out. I suppose that on the day that we are born, we could just have downloaded into our brains everything we ever needed to know about life, the universe, and the mysteries of God. That would be kind of nice, just like it would be kind of nice if on the day I started dating Mary, that someone would have given me a comprehensive manual that instructed me about every situation that I would ever encounter with her. But notice in Proverbs, this passage says, the glory of kings is to search it out. There's something wonderful, praiseworthy, about the process of discovery, whether you're talking about relationships or whether you're talking about the mysteries of God. Just look into the eyes of children when they have that aha moment, when they discover something new. And this is to be not only a lifelong experience for us, but an eternal lifelong process. You will never learn everything there is to know about God because it's impossible. He is infinite. There's no end to his creativity his magnific magnificence, or his revelation. One of the greatest things about heaven is that we will continue to learn forever. Another reason that God clothes himself in mystery is seen in Matthew eleven twenty-five through 26. In this chapter, Jesus is uh, declaring how woeful it will be for Israel in the day of judgment because they didn't believe in the mighty works that he was doing. He then goes on to say, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your gracious will. Notice the comparison that Jesus makes here between the wise and learned and little children. What is the difference? Well, the wise and learned trust in their head, while little children trust in their hearts. 
And we see here that God delights in revealing himself to those who are more focused on knowing him relationally than knowing him intellectually. So let's just say for the sake of argument that you fall into the category of one who desires to know God, not just know about God. What are some keys to interpreting his word to you? Well, for the sake of brevity, we are going to be focused on prophetic messages generally and dreams specifically because of the message I preached two weeks ago. And by the way, I talked to many of you after that message, and many of you shared dreams and excitement about that, and so it seems like that message struck a chord. That's why we're uh, talking about this again today. And as I mentioned, uh, after that message, uh, I will be looking at a dream here that Ruth gave me. And we're going to be applying some of the rules that I'm going to set forth here to that dream. And you can see how we can do this in real time here. There are two main types of prophetic message that we will examine. Literal and symbolic. And so first, let's look at literal messages. Literal prophetic messages are just that. They are literal An example of a literal message would be Joseph's dream that we studied a couple of weeks ago. There's no mystery about what God was trying to tell Joseph. Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. Pretty clear, right? Well, the main issue in regard to literal dreams is knowing when they are from the Lord and when they are from our own anxiety or subconscious. We need to look for a moment on how the prophetic is dealt with in the New Testament. Please look with me at uh, at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to be looking at verse 7. Paul here, in speaking about spiritual gifts, says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, or the outworking of the Spirit, For the common good. Notice here that there is a theme of interdependence. When we look at the list of gifts in the following verses, we see that some of the gifts are what are called complementary gifts. Okay? For example, we see that there's the gift of tongues, but then there's also the gift of the interpretation of tongues. That's a complementary gift to the gift of tongues. And so, what is the complementary gift to prophetic, or to the gift of prophecy? I believe that the gift that is directly following it in the list, in verse 10, namely, the distinguishing between spirits, is the complementary gift. That word which we translate distinguishing means judicial estimation in the original language. The individual with the gift of discernment is judging whether a spirit is from the Lord, from the individual, or from the enemy. This gift, which we call spiritual discernment, is a very important gift to the body of Christ. It helps to protect it. Certainly there are many Christians out there who have discernment regarding others. They might get a feeling about someone. And they might even share that feeling with someone they trust. Something's a bit off with that guy. Or, I think she's up to something. However, certain people in church have this as their primary gift. 
God has given them a heightened spiritual awareness, and they can sense when someone's in the spirit or in the flesh. And they might even be able to pinpoint the spirit that's present. Perhaps a particular speaker is full of themselves. And in that instance, the one with the gift of discernment might pinpoint a spirit of pride or a spirit of arrogance. In regard to literal dreams, it would be very prudent to talk to someone that you believe is discerning before you act. Ecclesiastes 8.1 says, Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? And so you might not come right out and say, that person has the gift of distinguishing between spirits. You might just think of them as wise. However, the result will be the same if you go to them. They will help you figure out what to do, if anything, about the dream or the prophetic revelation that you've had. This brings us to the more difficult of the two kinds of dreams in regard to interpretation. These are symbolic dreams or revelations from the Lord. And the Bible is filled with symbolism. I'm just going to rattle off a couple dozen of symbols that come to mind, and these were ones that I just thought of without even looking at the Bible. Sheep, dragons, vineyards, fig tree, olive branch, dove, vipers, bread, wine, water, light, a gate, a door, a pearl, multi-headed beasts, an eagle, a lion, a ram, a shepherd, a lamp, a swarm of locusts, a virgin bride, a potter's vessel, and the harvest. And that's just 24 of the 1,670 symbols that the Dictionary of Bible Themes lists in regard to these symbols in the Bible. And all of these symbols need interpreting. But thankfully, there are some verses in which these symbols are found that identify them right in the text, what they are. For instance, in John 10, Jesus was telling the disciples a parable about the sheep gate. He said that the sheep entered through the gate while the robber tries to jump the wall. Later, he explains this parable to his disciples and tells them plainly, I am the door to the sheep. And so we see the symbol defined right in the text. And that's very helpful. At other times, a bit more digging is necessary to unravel the symbolic mystery that we see in the Bible. An example of this would be the instance in Mark 11 where Jesus was hungry. And so he went up to a fig tree. And the fig tree didn't have any figs on it. And so he does something very unusual. He curses the tree and the tree withers up and dies. What makes this action so strange is that right in the text it says that it was not the fig season. That's why there weren't any figs on the tree. So did Jesus just forget that it was fig season, not fig season and then rash, uh, lash out in a fit of rage against this innocent tree? No, we must read on because right after this text, Jesus clears the temple. He goes in and he declares that his father's house is to be a house of prayer, but they had turned it into a den of robbers. And so the fig tree is a symbol of Israel's lack of fruit, and consequently, the temple was utterly destroyed in AD 70. And so therefore, the first thing that you should do if you have a symbolic dream or vision is to go to the Lord 
Okay, Lord, show me what these symbols mean. Look in the Bible to see if there are similar symbols that are identified in the Bible. Common symbols that we understand and what they are defined to be. If you can't find them in the Bible, then you might have to turn to commonly accepted symbolism in our culture. For instance, what if you had a dream that you perceived was from the Lord that had a beaver in it? Our culture has this phrase, busy as a beaver, and that's widely accepted and known. And so perhaps the interpretation would be something to do with getting busy or taking action. The second thing we need to do when we have symbolic dreams that we think are from the Lord is to pay close attention to situations that arise right after them, within the first couple of days or the first week, perhaps. This is where our text from today that Daniel read comes into play. Here we see Peter, he's sitting on the roof, and he falls into a trance. And a trance is just a dreamlike state while you're still awake. And so he sees some symbols which he doesn't think are symbols at first. He sees a sheet being let down from heaven, and in the sheet there are all kinds of unclean animals, animals that were not uh, kosher for the Jewish people to eat. And a voice tells him, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And he refuses to do so. And it happens two more times. Okay? By the way, the number three is considered to be the number of completeness in the Bible. We see the Trinity. We see threes all over. Okay? And so in that, we see this completeness of the revelation. And so he wakes from this trance. And in verse 17, we see that Peter is perplexed. That means he doesn't understand what the trance was about, what this vision was all about. However, the interpretation becomes clear when a Gentile servant shows up and invites him to his master's house. And his master is a Roman officer named Cornelius, who, by the way, also had a vision from the Lord. Peter goes to the man's house, shares the gospel message in what is probably the shortest sermon in the history of sermons, and immediately the Holy Spirit falls on those that are listening and they begin to speak in tongues, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so you see, God has used symbolism that was very familiar to Peter, the Jewish food laws, to make a point about his intention for the gospel to not only be for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. So let's take a moment now and listen to um, Ruth's dream. I'm going to read it for you here. Ruth had this dream in March of 1998. I was, at a sunny, uh, I was at the ocean on a calm, warm, and sunny day with a Christian friend. We were wading knee-deep in the water, leisurely strolling along. I came to a large rock that came up to about my hips. My friend, who was about 30 feet from me, also came to a rock of similar size. We both stood and, uh, stopped and stood by these rocks. I looked out to the ocean and was horrified as I saw a huge, huge wave coming toward us. I knew there was no time to run for the shore for safety, so I shouted to my friend, hold on to the rock. My friend looked at the rock next to her and then began running toward the shore. The wave was coming frightfully close. I leaned over the rock in front of me and I grabbed it tightly with my hands, arms, and legs, trying to embrace it with my entire body. The rock was extremely rough and craggy, and the harder I clung to it, the more painful it was 
because of its roughness. As the wave came, I took a deep breath and held it. I felt its intensity and force, and I could sense the depth of it as I covered my head. It pulled my hair and my clothes powerfully in the direction toward the shore as it ripped violently over me. I clung as tightly as I could to the rock despite its rough protrusions uh, pressing painfully against my skin. I prayed, Lord, help me hang on. Send your angels to help me hang on. Help me, help me. Then the force of the wave began to change and it began to try to rip me off the rock in the opposite direction of the undertow and now tried to pull me out toward the ocean. Just as I felt I could not hold my breath any longer, the wave subsided. I looked over to where I'd last seen my friend and my eyes scanned the shore and the hills beyond searching for her, but she was gone, taken by the wave. So now let's use our first rule of interpretation that we talked about. We need to look to the Bible to see if there are any symbols in Ruth's dream that are identified in the Bible. Well, first of all, we see a wave. And in Ephesians 4.14, it warns us not to be like children tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine. So one interpretation of the wave in Ruth's dream could be a huge wave of false teaching that was coming upon them. Second, we know that in 1 Corinthians 10.4, it refers to Jesus as the rock. And so Ruth was not swept away like her friend because she was clinging to the rock, symbolically perhaps Jesus in this dream. Third, we see that the rock is very rough, which is one of the reasons that Ruth was able to cling to it. In Matthew 21, 44, it says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. Jesus, our rock, is not smooth. He breaks down our pride and our self-conceit in order that we might become more like him. And finally, I want you to notice that the wave came on a clear and beautiful day. This made me think of the verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And so next, we need to look what happened right after this dream. Well, indeed, her friend did get swept away by the lies of the world, even though Ruth had warned her. And Ruth has shared this dream with many, many people since 1998 people that were struggling, people that were being attacked by false doctrines. And this dream became to them a warning and still continues to be for her a warning and for us today. There are many false doctrines out in the world that want to sweep us out to sea, but we need to cling to the rock. Some of you today might be thinking as you walk away from this message, why hasn't God spoken to me through dreams and visions? Am I not spiritual enough? Am I too sinful? I want you to remember that dreams and visions are rare in regard to how God predominantly communicates with us. If you want to hear God's voice, the first and foremost place to look is the Bible. The scriptures are a sure word from the Lord, and you can trust in them. And if God sees fit to give you a dream or a vision, Don't get too proud of yourself. Consider instead the responsibility that God placed upon those in the Bible that had received dreams and visions. They were charged with relaying some pretty heavy, serious messages and were not particularly popular among God's people. 
So yes, I encourage you today. Go home. Pray. Lord, give me a vision. Give me a dream. Show me what you want to show me. However, if you pray that, brace yourself for some difficult realities. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today and we know that you communicate in many ways. We thank you for your word that is the sure word. We also look to these other ways, Lord, that you speak. Help us to not be blinded or deaf to them. And Lord, to be discerning when they come. Thank you for the gifts of the body and the interdependence that you've given us here. Help us together to uh, be able to interpret these things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.